Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock, and I'll be your host for the podcast. And we're talking today with an attorney, an associate attorney from Mundal Law, Alma Miklasevics. How are you, Alma? Great, David. Happy to be here. And our topic for today will be on property division in divorce, the do's and don'ts. What are we talking about exactly, Alma? For the most part today, what I had in mind was talking a little bit about retirement assets and also the do-it-yourself divorce, because we continue to see a lot of that. As a divorce attorney, I don't recommend it to people. People do it. So there are some real dangers to that approach. That's just not me talking. It's because as an attorney, we see this stuff over and over again. People who do their own divorces and they don't know what they don't know. The Minnesota Court of Appeals and the Minnesota Supreme Court see these cases over and over again. In fact, there was one recently that I'd like to talk a little bit about today. Is there something specific that you're meaning besides this case? I want to get to that case, but what kind of dangers are we talking about specifically? Well, one of the main things is detail. As good as the judicial branch forms are in the state of Minnesota, and we do have good forms, and they generally they come with good instructions. They look simple and straightforward enough, and they're organized well. But if you're like me, you get overwhelmed a little bit at times reading the user agreements on new software. When you have two people who they, they think they've reached an agreement, things are fairly amicable as far as the divorce goes, and they start going through these forms and answering all these questions, filling in the blanks. I think at some point there's a tendency to start to think, well, we've got this figured out. We know what we're going to do. We don't have to put everything in the form. There's a recent case that illustrates, I think, a lot of what can go wrong when you try to do this yourself, even when you're following the forms. Such as? This is a divorce that took place about seven years ago, and neither party was represented by an attorney, and they used that joint petition form that you find on the judicial branch website. You Google court forms divorce. You'll come up with a list of forms that include a joint petition. Well, that's what these folks did. They prepared their own joint petition and did it in their handwriting. They checked boxes. They filled in some of the blanks. They did end up leaving a lot of stuff out. One of the dangers to that is when you do a joint petition, you are filing a stipulation with the court. And in that stipulation, you'll find language that in effect says, we have both disclosed everything and we've both been as honest as we could be and we're willing to agree to this and this is our agreement and we would like the court to approve it. That has a legal effect. And what was that effect? In this case, the court took their agreement as it was written, and it was written fairly unambiguously, but it left some stuff out that the court was not free to add back in later on. What kind of things did they leave out? 
Okay, for example, when the form asks you to list your assets, in this case, one of the parties wrote, assets will be split equally, we will work together. And then they attach list by saying, we agree on how to divide our assets. And would that mean just regular property division type things, the stuff around the house, or other things that are a little more detrimental to their getting along outside of their marriage contract? It can include everything. It can include everything down to your furniture if you want. I mean, most people don't get that detailed. And when you're talking about household goods, there's not a tremendous amount of value in those resale-wise. As far as on a balance sheet, you wouldn't put a lot of value to those items. So what were the things that they excluded that would be way more detrimental to them as individuals now? So in this case, the form has a list of things like cash and bank accounts, stocks, bonds, etc. And they just simply filled in zero in all of those. They filled in zero as the amount? Yeah, with the statement that each person shall receive all the assets in their own column. So they basically put assets in either one of their columns and they just assign them all an equal value of zero. So it was on the asset balance sheet is where everything ended up to read zero. For a lot of that stuff, they did list their personal property and assign that a value, and they agreed to equally split that, and they split their debts, but, 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 and this is the retirement piece, with respect to their retirement assets, profit sharing, pension, 401k, 403b, whatever it was, IRA accounts, They wrote absolutely nothing under their retirement assets. Even though there were retirement assets, they did not include those. And I think here you see at this point, you see the form fatigue setting in and they think they've got an amicable agreement and that the details don't matter. When you say retirement assets, you mean literally their retirement accounts. Yes, I am talking about like 401ks, pensions, 403bs, IRAs, Roth IRAs. That's what we're talking about here. Those assets were part of the marriage and should have been part of the divorce, but they didn't list them. They wrote nothing and they left those spaces blank. And again, that's that form fatigue setting in. Right. So the court enters the agreement. There was a brief hearing where husband attended, wife did not, wife was living in another state at that time. On the record, court asks husband, with regard to your assets, the two of you have just agreed to divide them equitably. And the husband responded yes. And the judge just simply signed the agreement. Making an assumption that if they said they could be amicable with one another, that they actually would be. Yeah, that they had an agreement, and the court took their agreement at their word. Basically, in the agreement, they said, we've disclosed everything, we've put everything here that matters, and we've reached an agreement, and we believe each other is telling the truth, and blah, 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 please divorce us. And so what happened? Five years later, it has come to wife's attention that the retirement assets weren't divided as equitably as wife maybe was aware of at the time. It turns out, husband had, at the time of the divorce, he had a 401k that had a few hundred thousand dollars in it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And she knew the 401k was there, she just didn't know the balance. She had her own 401k with a zero balance. Okay. And invested interest in a pension plan. Now let me just go backwards a little bit. From my layperson's understanding, If those 401ks, particularly the one that had a lot of assets in it, 
were acquired during the marriage, that's the one that needs to be split equitably. Is that correct? Yes. And with a 401k, you definitely want to see an account statement. You definitely want to know what's in there. So, in fact, it should be in writing so that it can go into writing. It should absolutely be in writing. And if had they put it down in writing before submitting this agreement to the court, a wife may have been able to argue that some of the language in the decree that they filed in the joint petition would have supported her contention that the parties intended those assets to be equitable. Since they wrote nothing, ultimately she was not able to do that. So what she ended up with, we had her ex-husband who had a $235,000 401k and a defined benefit pension at the time of the divorce. And she had a 401k with a zero balance and an unvested interest in a pension plan. So the value there was ridiculously, egregiously, unfairly skewed towards husband. Is there something that could be done in a case like that if they do acquire an attorney? Property settlements are final, and there's a good reason for that. We want that finality with respect to the financial assets. However, in certain circumstances, newly discovered evidence, fraud, etc., you may be able to reopen a property settlement, but there is also a time limit for you to do that, and that is a year. You have a year in which to make that kind of argument to the court and reopen the property settlement. So what happened in this case? Ultimately, wife was unsuccessful in her bid to revisit the property settlement from her divorce. So she didn't get any of that 401k nor from the pension plan. No, she did not. One reason for that is that our judicial system, our civil system, uh, we want to encourage parties to resolve disputes on their own whenever possible. We favor things like stipulations over litigation. A stipulation is where the parties agree to something, and that is helpful to the courts and to the system as a whole. And so we want some assurance when we enter into stipulations that they're going to be binding. And in this case, the parties entered into a binding stipulation. Since this topic is about do's and don'ts, that to me sounds like a definite don't. Don't leave your assets open and just list zero as though you're going to equitably divide them. Because in the case for that wife, that didn't turn out too well. You have to fill in all the blanks. It is very important that you list everything for both your sakes, to protect your own assets and to ensure that you know what you're giving up the right to. Because everything acquired during a marriage is presumed to be marital. If you simply say, he keeps his 401k and I keep mine, and he's got $235,000 in his, and you've got nothing in yours... If you make that agreement and you put it to paper and you submit it to a court. Not to second guess a couple that I am unacquainted with too much, but my guess is that when they were trying to fill out these forms together, and since they were in the process of a divorce, they possibly got kind of uncomfortable addressing all of these specifics just by themselves. Is that kind of what you think may happen in cases like these, Alma? Well, I just think really they don't understand the importance of each of those blanks, of each detail being set out clearly, because the court will likely not be able to infer it later if it turns out that it wasn't as fair as you thought it was at the time of the divorce and you want to try to get it reopened. 
that sounds like we have established a definite don't. <laughs> what would be the more appropriate do in that case? I know we've already kind of talked about it, but what are you suggesting would be the very best thing to do in a case like that? The best thing really is to make sure you've got it all laid out in front of you. You need the information. Now, in this case, one of wife's arguments was that she had handwritten into the form, assets will be split equally. We will work together. Okay, that's all fine and good. Wife was arguing that that equally meant everything should be divided equally. The problem for the court was they wrote nothing for retirement assets. So there was a true lack of clarity as to what the court could even consider for assets in their retirement accounts. Yeah, the decree itself on its face with the language that's there doesn't even acknowledge any retirement assets. There are nothing but blanks there. Therefore, because there is nothing listed as retirement assets, the phrase will be split equally has no effect on the retirement assets. There was an agreement to split equally the assets that they listed. And because they didn't list any retirement assets, wife wasn't able to split them later. In addition to the timing of her request, which was five years after the divorce, which is also a problem. And what is the general timing for property of that kind? If you want to reopen a divorce decree, and that's what you have to do, a court can't simply listen to your argument and then adjust the division of property on its own. You have to get the court to agree to reopen it. And you generally, you have to do that within one year of the date the judgment and decree was entered by the court. So five years is way outside of that one year limitation. Yeah, and you know, wife and wife's attorneys made some arguments to try to get past that bar, but they weren't able to, and they weren't able to convince the court using any of these other arguments either. The phrase equally. Yes, you agreed to divide every asset equally, but you listed those assets and you specifically didn't list the retirement assets. Therefore, there's no clarity that you intended to divide the retirement assets equally because you didn't list them. I know it seems silly, but that is the danger of trying to do a divorce yourself without attorney. And at the very least, if you are going to do a do-it-yourself divorce, when you think you've got it all done, pay an attorney to review it. It will cost you a little bit of money, but when you consider how difficult it is to undo a mistake with a divorce, especially around property division, you'll be glad you did. You'll have peace of mind. At least you'll know what you're giving up. You'll know what you're getting. Perhaps it, even get some advice yeah, as to yes. what you need to go back to the drawing board for. Yeah. That kind of cost does sound minimal to me. Mm -hmm. and I've worked around attorneys for a little while now. If you're insistent on doing it yourself, that cost seems like not very much compared to having an attorney walk the divorce through from day one until the final decree. Just having them look it over, it seems like that could be a well-used expenditure on getting your divorce right. Yeah, absolutely. I still recommend that people who are getting divorced hire a divorce attorney. I do understand that some people like the do-it-yourself thing, and I'm one of those people generally, but you don't know what you don't know. And in the case of a divorce, there's a lot more to consider than simply filling in blanks on a form. 
and understanding what the legal effect is of those answers or non-answers, as the case may be, here where they didn't include any retirement assets. As far as dues go... Yeah, what are some of the dues? The dues really are in the details. You really want to get details. I know it can be tiresome. I do this every day in cases. It's not glorious work. I'm not delivering the dramatic courtroom monologue every day. I'm not, and most attorneys are not. Most of it is detail, detail, detail. What I would call dotting the I's and crossing the T's? Yep, exactly. So details are definitely one of the do's. If you are going to do the do-it-yourself approach, do talk to an attorney before you file anything. I often get retained to simply be a scrivener for people who have reached an agreement, who think they've written it all down, and just want to hire a lawyer to get it right. Typically, when I see the agreements that those people have reached, there are a lot of details missing, and I need to ask about those. Basically, I'm being paid to look for mistakes. Are you able to help them to rectify some of those mistakes in many cases? Well, sometimes I am. However, in those cases, as a Scrivener, I'm being retained as a joint neutral. I'm not representing either party, and I'm not giving either party legal advice. And when I communicate with those parties, I'm communicating with all of them. I don't have separate communications with husband and separate communications with wife. Everybody gets copied. You're not working as an attorney of record is what you're saying. Right. Absolutely. No. I have done a number of those cases where they have a joint petition. They think they've got everything covered and they want me to review it and look it over and see if there are any holes in it. In a case like the one I was talking about earlier, if I saw that on a form, we agree to divide our assets equally and I saw no retirement assets listed, I would definitely ask about that. I would ask them both about that. I would want to make sure that they were each aware of whether there are these assets or not, because if you don't include them, there's a real danger. Well, it sounds like if folks were going to do it themselves, if they brought it to an attorney like yourself, they may be able to avoid some serious mistakes if they had you look at it first. Yeah, absolutely. Ideally, each party would take their agreement to their own attorney. If I'm retained as a neutral by both parties, there are some limits to what I can do because I'm not being hired to provide legal advice. Really, I think each party ought to take what they think is their agreement to an attorney, hire that attorney on a limited scope to review it and advise them as to what it is they're agreeing to, what its legal effect is, where are the potential issues, problems? It absolutely helped them in that case. Are there any other do's and don'ts that you could share with us, Alma? One other common one that I see is the parties, they agree to divide an IRA account. And in some cases, they'll even agree to divide it by a quadro. In other cases, they simply won't include in the divorce, anything specific about dividing the quadro. In lieu of going into detail about what a quadro is, perhaps we can save that topic for another time. How does that sound? Yeah, there's there are more do's and don'ts, definitely. That sounds great. Thank you very much, Alma. Thank you, David. 
You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law, who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundal Law website at mundallaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.